Hello, Kim. Hey, Sarah. Happy 2022. Is your new year off to a good start? Well, yeah, I think so. It's, uh, you know, got some snow out there. That's kind of fun to look at. We have had some serious snow in this past month. We're making up for, I guess, all the snow we didn't get. Did we get snow last year? Not a lot, no. Yeah, so we're making it up for it this year. And we are about to start off 2022 in a very exciting way with a fantastic guest that I will let you introduce, Kim. Yay, awesome. Yeah, I'm super excited to welcome B. Lederman. I believe that I met you, B, the first time at a VISTI conference. Is that right? I think so, yes. Yeah, and I've just been a fan, follower on all the Twitter, and she does really exciting and interesting and great computer science and STEM kind of activities. So I thought it would be great to bring her on and have her share her work. Thank you. It's really nice to be here. I'm very excited about this. Cool. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, So as you said, I'm B. Lederman and I have been an instructional technology coach since 2005. I was in the classroom and doing coaching for two years. And in 2007, I was a full-time technology coach. And that's what I've been doing most of the time as a full-time employee in schools, but also when I had to give up employment outside the home, I did it from home remotely for organizations and uh, private schools. And um, currently I am an instructional technology coach and STEM coordinator in Prince Edward County. I really love creative work with technology, not just coding, although I love, love, love coding with Scratch. I love helping teachers discover the beauty of letting students demonstrate what they're learning and explore and create and uh, bring their own personal experiences and preferences into their learning using video and animation. And I think even though we don't discuss it very explicitly at all times, there's a lot of computational thinking and creative problem solving that goes into creation with digital tools that are not necessarily coding, um, that help you think logically and break down problems and come up with solutions that then you can apply to other situations. So um, yeah, that's what I love to do. So I wonder if there are any particular projects that you can remember uh, throughout this time that you've been working that are highlights for you, whether you created them or teachers are doing them or students were doing them? Yeah, I discovered Scratch way back when it was brand new. And Scratch has always been a go-to platform for me for teaching kids to think logically about projects and problems and um, be creative and just have fun. I always think that um, it's important to bring fun into school and into classrooms. I'm Yay! clapping. <laughs> I'm Sarah's doing jazz, jazz hands. <laughs> and and it, it's it's always fun to introduce kids to something that is as open-ended as Scratch and see where kids go. I like projects in which kids create stuff. And um, one of the natural fits with Scratch is um, game creation. And so uh, one of the things I like to do is create kind of starter projects. And I know that a lot of your guests have talked about this, the fear of the blank page where you don't even know where to start. When you give kids a little seed and ask questions and let them explore and then go from there, then the kids can choose where they go with 
with their game. You know, some kids might be very focused on the animations and the art. Some kids might focus a lot on the sound effects. And it's great when you have a classroom environment where kids can share with each other and teach each other rather than having that focus that is so common in schools where we think every kid must do their own work and looking at anybody else's work is cheating. And um, Scratch lends itself to making more of a, a community in which the kids are peers that are helping each other and giving each other feedback and giving each other ideas and questioning each other's work. Because um, sometimes when we're creating things, we are blind to our own faults. And so when, when as a teacher, you, when you critique a student project, you're the teacher, you're figuring authority, and a, a student is not always willing to push back and say, no, no, that's how I want my project to be mm-hmm. and defend, defend their choices. But when, when you have a community in which the students give feedback and the students critique each other's work, then when the kid has to justify it to somebody else, they might realize, oh, maybe I should change this. So I was very lucky to have a class that was open-ended for me to design and decide what I wanted to teach. And I did this particular activity where uh, for almost an entire semester, we worked on game creation and I would teach the kids, like we had this long conversation at the start of, of the unit what is what constitutes a game and the kids would bring their ideas well a game should have this a game should have this and a game should have this and then I started showing them how to do some of those things in scratch but they could modify whatever I showed them like okay this is how you keep score now you decide how you want your scoring situation to be in your game this is how you add extra lives but you decide how you do it or if you do it. And so um, I would have a little bit of instruction for the kids, but then I would let them take what I showed them and go with it and make their own games. And um, the kids could play each other's games. And the feedback that I got was not necessarily from my class and from my own kids, but from teachers around the school who kept wanting to see what it was that I was doing, that the kids were so excited about the project they were working on in my class that they were taking time in their classes to play their play each other's games and give each other feedback and teach kids who were not in my class about the creation that they were making. So that was that was really rewarding. And I just I really just love working with Scratch because it's really um it's described and even like the creators of Scratch. I've been to the Scratch conference a couple of times. And one, one of the things that they stress every time that Mitch Resnick and his team are on stage, they talk about how Scratch has very low floor, high ceiling, wide walls, mm-hmm. which means it's very accessible to anyone. So I think about my approach to teaching Scratch is not, I'm going to make you guys computer scientists that are going to go on to be app developers or data scientists or whatever, but you're going to learn to think through this in an accessible way. This is how you think about logic. This is how you think about solving a problem and finding finding the problem in your own thinking and in how you've assembled this, this you know, it's, it's all very analytical, but in a very non-threatening and very accessible way. And you can go at coding with Scratch through storytelling or game design or, you know, just art. I love to make art with Scratch, like making spirographs and just things that change color and respond to the environment. Like uh, I keep having this idea. 
I've never done it, but it's like this, this big dream of mine of having some sort of installation art project where scratch and either micro bits or makey makeys or both, you know, everything, multiple computers with some sort of display that is tactile, that you go press things and touch things and complete, you know, closed circuits by touching two different points and there's going to be a soundscape or there's going to be light that shines out of somewhere. And it's just, it's so flexible and you can do so many things that I just adore it. In the summer of 2020, I participated in the uh, Getting Unstuck project with Scratch. And it was an amazing two weeks. I mean, it was such a horrible year of being stuck at home that those two weeks were, were such a highlight. And it was a very loose, loosely organized event where you would get a prompt in the morning and you had time during the day to make something out of a very vague prompt. They would be like, okay, make a project using this particular block in Scratch. And then you would go and add your project to a studio in the Scratch website and you would look at what everybody else made. And the Scratch team had moderators that would ask you questions, not just about your project, but about your process. And then they would take highlights from that and talk about it on Twitter. And so you could follow these threads on Twitter and meet other people who were working on similar projects. And it was an incredible, incredible experience where I learned, I think in those two weeks, I learned more about what I could do with Scratch that I had never even imagined after all my years of working in Scratch than if I had attended some formal event where I sat down and, and had somebody teach me because I was learning from the community. And out of that, the Scratch team has created this amazing curriculum that is, uh, it's called the Getting Unstuck curriculum, and it's available for free online. And it has, it has similar prompts. Um, and it's, if a teacher wanted to take it and run with it, they could use it exactly as it is. And the beauty of it is that you can do that, but you can also just pick and choose the pieces that you want to use. And I would hope that if a teacher, I have not had a chance to use it, it's new and uh, being new in my role at my current employment, I have not had a group of students that I can do this with. I think the most amazing part of that curriculum is that it has very well designed frameworks for students to reflect about their own learning and about their process and about their product as well. So think not just about what you did, but what the end result was and how did you get to that and also to look at other, other students' work and give feedback and give feedback in a way that is structured to raise everybody's level of performance. It's amazing what they've done. It's, it's designed very carefully so that um, nobody will feel hurt or targeted, but it, it really opens the way for communication regarding students' thinking process. Why did you do this? How did you do this? What would you do differently? What if somebody who couldn't see was using your project or somebody couldn't hear and was using your project? It does have structures that would lead discussions in those directions that would make kids aware, not just of creating with a computer, but creating with a computer with other people in mind. You mentioned so many things that are not necessarily easy to integrate into computer science. Like when you think of computer science as coding, or building from a kit or finishing a task, it doesn't necessarily come with the remixing and the creativity and the feedback and the discussion. And those are the things that, you know, just teaching CS is low floor, high ceiling, just like scratch is. And so 
you can enter and do a basic project, but when you're ready to take it into something bigger and something richer, that reflection is so important. And I love that you mentioned reflecting on process and product, because those are two really important, very different things. And you get different reflections on both. And it's important to talk about both. I've also never heard low floor, high ceiling, wide walls. I talk about low floor, high ceiling all the time, but can you tell us more about low floor, high ceiling, wide walls? When you said that, I was like, (gasps) (laughs) well, there in scratch, there is no one path to finishing a project and it's true in anything. But when, you know, I have a hard time coding in text, you know, typing commands and things, because I just don't have the focus to notice the small details. Like I miss the spaces, I miss the punctuation, I, you know, don't indent properly or whatever it is. And I just make a mess. I just find the visual, the visual aspect of scratch. I can make very complex things in scratch. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, that's where the high ceiling goes. Like you can, if you can go into the scratch website and find things that are such high level math that I have no idea what people are doing. Like, it doesn't matter how much I break down the blocks and look at what they're doing. I can't figure it out. But because of the wide walls, I don't have to follow that particular path to make something. I can make something that is very different because I can take it for, like I said, you can do game design. You can focus on the sounds. You can focus on the colors. You can focus on making it interactive so that other users can contribute to your project. And the idea of remixing also helps because you don't have to start from scratch. You can, haha, in scratch, you can go look at, (laughs) you can go look at somebody else's project and just kind of dissect it, see how it was put together, which is one of the, one of the beauty, beautiful things about this getting unstuck curriculum that when you first go into any of the modules, the very first thing that you do is go to a studio where they have selected specific projects for students to explore. So you start with exploration. You don't start with instruction of any kind. You're letting the students explore things that are ready-made that they can break down and understand how they were made, which goes back to a few episodes ago, one of your guests was talking about this method of exploring and then remixing and making something new. And there was um, the tip and see method, mm, with yeah. giving, right? Of giving the students prompts so that even if they don't know where to start, they have some ideas of what to look at. I kept thinking there's this idea of go to the studio, look at the projects that we put here for you, but I could see having this tipsy method incorporated into this curriculum so that the students have a better idea of what to look for or what to do in order to take one of those projects and then make something of their own. There's like at least three different things I want to dive into based on what you said. (laughs) And um, I don't know if we'll get to them all, but one was this remixing idea. And I think, I mean, that's how you learn to code. That's how, I mean, that my husband codes every day and it's not all, he's not all inventing stuff, right? He's finding, oh, I bet, you know, I could go find this over there and this over there and then make it work for my situation. So I feel like 
we need to have more of that attitude in a computer science that it's counterintuitive for a lot of teachers and students. Like yeah. they, when you try to talk to teachers about that, they're like, they're not learning if they're copying. And then you talk about the difference between copying and remixing. And then kids are like, I have students that are like, I can't start with your code. That's plagiarism. And I'm like, it is so important that, you know, and respect plagiarism. And also we're going to talk about how this is different, like remixing. It, it just doesn't all have to be from scratch in order for kids to show mastery and learning in this field. But that is a hard thing to teach. Right. And it, it's very important. So when I show teachers scratch and I've spent a lot of time talking teachers into using scratch and teaching them just enough so that you're very convincing. I feel like you must have a very high success rate. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. I mean, I've been doing this a long time, but um, one of the one of the things that I I end up showing because it's hard not to in Scratch. There's this little function called a backpack, in in which you can drag stacks of code and keep them in the backpack, and you can grab them from your own projects or, or from other people's projects, and then bring them into your own project. When I show teachers this, they immediately go, "Oh no, 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 no! That's cheating!" But to get over that, what I've realized is I get teachers started with a project. And then I say, okay, here's a sprite that already has a behavior, that already has stuff. Bring it into your game because that is going to be your code for coding an extra life. I'm giving them the code, but my variables are named different. My Or maybe there's like the location on the screen is different. And so my coordinates have to be different. So Creating your own code sometimes is easier than bringing somebody else's code in and actually making it work. When you bring in somebody else's code and actually make it work in your project, you actually know and understand a whole lot more than when you make your own because you have to know where the pitfalls are. And that shows a level of understanding that is high above just assembling, mindlessly assembling, this is how I count, the counter for scorekeeping, but bringing something in and knowing, knowing where the problems are, which is, you know, I think it's a higher level skill. Evaluation, if it's, and even, I don't like talking about Bloom and Bloom's taxonomy, but evaluation of somebody else's work is harder work than recalling how to assemble something that you've already seen somewhere else. That's one approach I've been taking with teachers when they're like, oh, no, 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 they're grabbing stuff from other people. Yes, but if they can't make it work, they don't know what they're doing. When they can make it work, then you know they are understanding. And even if they are bringing in somebody else's work, that's harder. Yeah, I mean, diving into the pedagogy of it, that's a different type of assessment. You know, there's the type of assessment where you show what you've learned from memory. There's the type of assessment where you summarize it, where you teach it, where you find a different way to communicate it. And you're like proofreading someone else's work and finding ways to integrate it into your own. And that is certainly a valid and very difficult type of assessment. And you do have to have a high level of mastery in order to do that. Right. It, it is much harder. Recall is much easier and reproduction is much easier, but evaluation and synthesis is much, much harder. I like that. All right. So thing two, getting unstuck. I, I've known about that. I, ha- I haven't gone through it myself, but I always loved the idea. Karen Brennan did some talk about it that I watched. And what I love about the idea of it, and I wanted to see if this is how you felt when you were doing it, is that I think another intimidating factor about bringing Scratch into your classroom, if you haven't had a lot of experience with it, is you're going to 
get to a point pretty quickly where students are running into problems that you can't help them solve. And even myself who have, I've, you know, a lot of experience with Scratch, but I, I haven't created really complex projects with it. You know, I know just enough to get kids going and then we have to debug together, they debug together, but you know, there's this level of, I don't have the answer. <laughs> and I'm wondering, did that getting unstuck, would that help teachers through that process? I think so, because it really puts everybody in the room in the learning scene. The whole methodology, I don't know, I think they call it a curriculum and there are materials and it gets a little harder as you go, but I think it's more of a methodology. Everybody starts as a learner, even the teacher, because everybody starts exploring projects and picking something to do. And they do have these techniques. If you don't know how to do something or if you're stuck, there are these things that you can do. Look around the room and see who knows how to do it. So it encourages that communal aspect and social aspect of learning that is so important in constructivism. And then there's this idea that you need to look away from the problem a little bit because you might be stuck on something that maybe is not something that you're stuck on, but you're just thinking about it the wrong way. So there are all these ideas like ask somebody else, walk away, work on something else for a minute. That idea that there isn't an expert who knows everything anywhere is built into it. So it doesn't matter how much you think you know, even if I've been working with Scratch since 2007, there are still things that I don't know. And I can never assume that I know more than somebody else in the room. For example, when I was teaching that one game design class in 2020, there was a kid who knew everything I was teaching, this kid already knew. And this kid became a guide in the class with me. And part of the issue is teachers have a hard time doing that. You know, ceding control of what's happening in their room to somebody that they should be guiding. Oh, but what an experience for that student. Oh my <laughs> gosh, they're going to remember that forever. It was really fun because the students took such ownership of the project when I was, when I let go of control, when I said, I don't have all the answers. You need to find the resources yourself. And this particular curriculum, the Getting Unstuck curriculum, really stresses that. You are never, you never throw your hands up and say, I don't know. I can't do this because there's somewhere, someone out there who does. And it's usually beyond the walls of the classroom. So, you know, go to a search engine and see what you can find. Go to YouTube and see what you can find. And as long as you're learning, it doesn't matter where the learning is coming from. You know, if we let go of this idea that we have to use a textbook and we have to do whatever's in the textbook, then so many doors open up. Yes. Amen. <laughs> and that was leads reading. so nicely into the third thing I wanted to highlight. <laughs> so I happened to um, talk to a researcher who's been doing research in Tanzania, and I'm hoping to get her on the podcast at some point. Oh, cool. But what she was doing is there's a very, there's a teacher shortage in Tanzania. And so um, she's been looking at how to empower students to be helpers, to help each other out, especially when they're bringing technology in. So it's not necessarily computer science, but it's like new technology. They've never had technology. They don't have enough teachers to you know, help teach it. And that just got me thinking, oh my gosh, that's the same with computer science. Like there's not enough computer science teachers. So how can we empower students in the classroom to be the, the helpers? And I know when I'm doing it, I always look for those students who are, oh, yeah. um, and, and it's, 
I also try not to use, look for the usual suspects, right? Because mm -hmm. every, every, you know, there's, like you said, there's so many different aspects to Scratch or other computer science projects. You can pull expertise from any student, really. And so I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. I think that's an excellent idea. Your students are a resource. They have talents that you don't have. And inviting them to bring those talents into the classroom, even if it's not this, like, okay, so I don't know music. I can't read music. I'm the only person in my family who can't read music. It's all little balls and sticks on lines to me and makes no sense. <laughs> and I really, I love music, but I don't know anything about it. I mean, I know the terminology. My, both my kids play music and sing, my husband, my parents, everybody, everybody. So when I was working with Scratch in the classroom, the kids wanted to have music in their games. And I was very reluctant to let them use commercial music. So, you know, the kids who knew how to play instruments, I encouraged them, you know, make your own music. You have to encourage them to bring everything, everything they are and everything they know, because it all makes them who they are. Just because, so if, if I'm a math teacher, I can't say, okay, poetry and reading don't belong in my math classroom or drawing and uh, anime does not belong in my classroom. Everything belongs. Everything has something to teach us. And there's something applicable everywhere and in everything the kids do. And the, the beauty of it is that kids are not afraid like adults are of failure. And if you have a culture in your classroom where you treat failure as a learning opportunity, then you make everybody more adventurous. And so I think when you have kids be the helpers and they have they, they're fearless in some ways when it comes to technology. Their one fear is being criticized, I think. Especially middle school kids are very afraid of being embarrassed. But if you create a culture where failure is not a reason for embarrassment, but an opportunity for learning, then you can have the kids be the ones who test things out and then bring the results to the adults. So look, we can do this. So this is how it works. Or the teachers might be busy with something else, but the students enjoy finding YouTube videos that have instructions for doing something that nobody has figured out. So I do think that students are a resource. It doesn't matter how techy I am. At this point, my kids have outgrown me in terms of technology and doing things. Like my son spends inordinate amounts of time on Discord talking to weirdos. Like I call them weirdos. <laughs> Like very interesting people. Like he's studying geology and biology and he wants to be a paleontologist. And he spends a lot of time just talking to random people and watching random videos. And he's, he knows incredible amounts of stuff that I cannot even imagine. And it's a different approach to learning and to finding information. For example, last week I drove from Virginia to California with my daughter. And as we're driving, we're, you know, we're seeing things. And I just kept pulling up my phone and looking up stuff on Wikipedia and reading it out loud to her. And she would do the same thing for me. And we had this long conversation about now when you don't know something, you can always figure it out. If you can't find it, you can ask someone. But when I was a kid, if I didn't know, I didn't know. That was it. Yeah. There was no internet. You had your print encyclopedias at your school library. And if things weren't there, you're pretty much stuck. So kids are aware of this. Like, I don't know that we need to worry so much about kids. They're going to be okay because they know how to find things and help themselves. I think the, the biggest push is getting the adults to open their eyes to this and, and welcome yeah. it. I think adults very accidentally end up stifling 
and stopping kids from being curious and stopping kids from wanting to find the answers. Like you, the classroom picture that you paint is so powerful because it's not only students being experts and leading the learning, but you speak so passionately about meeting them where they are and bringing their talents, their identities into the classroom. And when you really focus on honoring the gifts that they bring, letting them teach you, giving up control, you've created this classroom where they feel seen and known. And all of a sudden the learning is culturally competent and their identities are involved. And you've not only changed the way they feel about that academic subject, but they're seen and honored in education in a way that they might not get to be in some of their other classes. And that can change the way a student feels about a subject, about school. You know, Kim and I talk a lot about inclusive, really meaningful pedagogy strategies with computer science and how do you honor kids and let them feel seen and make sure their identities are a part of your classroom when you're teaching something that essentially can come down to zeros and ones. And you've just painted the picture beautifully. Like, I want to be a student in your class. (laughs) Yeah, I was very lucky that I had this class where they just said, there are no learning objectives except whatever you come up with. (laughs) Every teacher needs to have one class where they're just like, you do not have to meet any standards, just play. Like teachers need to play too. Yeah, Their identities should be a part of it. Like that's, if students should have it, teachers should have it too. We're just- (laughs) The only goal I had in that class, like the only objective that I was given is- Kids have had iPads and now they have laptops come up with something that they can do that they feel comfortable using a laptop and are productive. We did. Um, Nailed it. Yeah, we had really fun. <laughs> we, did 3D, we, think we did a lot of 3D modeling with SketchUp, which is a really powerful tool as well. Um, and it's free for schools through Google. It used to be owned by Google and they sold it off to an engineering company. So the professional version is super expensive, but the school version is excellent. And it's really fun. And um, some of the stuff that we did with SketchUp was we built houses. It was very interesting. <laughs> like one of the things that you don't think about that technology is very useful is helping kids understand reality in a way different than they imagine it is. So for example, one of the first activities that I did is have them do a scavenger hunt where they had to go figure out how to use all the tools in their Google suite. And one of them was Google Drawings. And I said, okay, in Google Drawings, draw a house. And they would all draw, you know, a square with a triangle and two little square windows and a little door. And of course, like, it's not, it's not a house and the windows like are usually above the door and the door is really tiny. And it's like, it's not a house that somebody could actually live in. And then I would introduce Google SketchUp and I would say, okay, now we're designing a house. And they would immediately go to that house, a square with a triangle with little square windows above the door. And so I would say, okay, so how tall is the person who walks in through that door? And how do you look out through those windows? And if I use the measuring tools inside of SketchUp, how realistic are the sizes, the dimensions of this house? And now let's look out the window. We were in a school that looked out into a neighborhood, look out the window and look at how close the windows are to the ground in a real house. So when you go home tonight, walk around your house or walk around wherever you live and look carefully at the relationship between the windows, the doors, their location on a wall, on an outside wall anywhere. And then tomorrow come back and let's draw a new house. And it's this idea of like the kids who were in art classes who had been drawing from models looked at me and they knew what I was going, where, where I was going with this. And they, are, they all giggled, but the kids who were not taking art classes, they all were mystified next day when they came back and they said, oh, well, <laughs> I've, I've never really drawn a house, like a real house. And so it was, it was very eye-opening and it's, you know, it's 
it's one of those advantages of technology that you can just do these things and it's not like you run out of paper on your sketchbook or whatever. It's like, I think I think about some of the things that Seymour Papert talked about and he talked about the computers of building material you never that you never run out of and you can have kids do stuff all the time. So, yeah. I am going to be that person that says... <laughs> We're out of time. I think that was a great note to end on all the possibilities that there are out there to integrate tech in a meaningful way and to empower our students is a great message. So B, thank you so, so much. And we could talk oh for hours and we'll probably yes. have to have you back. Lots <laughs> <laughs> of fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we'll be sure to link a variety of resources that be shared with us on our website. And until next time, tech, love, and happiness.